Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Data Science Review Podcast. I'm Ariane Winfrank, a producer for this podcast, a data science undergrad student at Washington University in St. Louis, a former student of Liberty Vitter, and most importantly, the guest host of today's episode. I will be joined here today by co-host and editor-in-chief of the Harvard Data Science Review, Shelley May. After the positive reception of our listeners' question special featuring Shelley Ming in August, we decided to commence the new year with an exclusive interview featuring one of our most esteemed guests yet, HDSR's own Liberty Vitter. Today we will get to the bottom of how a woman with so many hats found herself in the exciting world of data science. Get ready to uncover captivating stories, glean valuable undergrad advice, hear Liberty's perspective on generative AI, and much more on this month's installment of the Harvard Data Science Review podcast. First of all, Happy New Year, and I'm so happy to have a chance to grill my uh, co-host, Liberty, because she did that to me last year. I've been waiting for this opportunity for a whole year. So Liberty, here is the first question. You wear so many hats. Uh, you're a statistician, professor, journalist, cooking show host, podcast host, doc series host, books and journal editors, and so much more, such as working with the UN Refugee Agency. How did you manage to do so much? And what are a few common principles you hold yourself to as the most versatile data scientist I have ever met, other than always pour yourself a glass, since we also know you are a wine connoisseur? Well, I learned from the best, Shelley, to always pour yourself a glass. Um, that came from you. So I, I appreciate the best advice I've ever gotten. Thank you. Um, and it's, it's funny you ask this. It's something that you said when we interviewed you for the podcast, and I, I never could have said it as articulately as you did, but it's that one thing leads to another. You know, especially at the beginning of my career, I said yes to absolutely everything, even things that I thought, what on earth could this do? Or, you know, why would I do this? And some of those things, not all, some of them lead to nothing, but a lot of them have led to some of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do. And you never know which thing is going to lead you where. And, you know, I mean, Shelly, that's how uh, that's how we met. I was sitting at a, a, con- a conference that I frankly really didn't want to go to. It was like 8 a.m. on a Sunday or something. And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting next to you and I, we'd never met before. And Robin actually came up to me and said, oh, I heard you have a cooking show. And you looked at me and you went, cooking show? And I mean, that's how this podcast, that was, you know, that's, this podcast never would have happened unless Robin had seen me on a cooking show. So you just, you never know what's going to lead to the next thing. So I would especially encourage any young data scientists or any anybody young and in anything, Ari, you included, um, that to really have that energy, surround yourself with cool people who are doing interesting things, be interested in what they're doing, um, which by the way, I've seen incredibly from Shally. He's always interested in what everybody else is doing. And you'll end up doing really cool things and getting really cool opportunities. I mean, what you said is exactly right. The only reason I even worked on this podcast with you was I just emailed you and was like, hey, are you doing anything cool? And you're like, actually, I am doing something cool. Do you want to get your hands on it? And now this is my favorite project that I do. And so leading into that, as academics, we're always learning and growing. And obviously you do so much here, but what has this podcast taught you? 
this podcast, I agree with you, Ari. This, this is one of my favorite things that I get to do because what's so cool about data science and what I, I really encourage young people who are interested in data science about is that data science touches all of our lives, no matter what you do, whether it's, and we've learned this from the podcast, whether it's the art world or the criminal world or, I mean, we've done guns, we've done marijuana, we've done, I mean, we've done everything you can possibly think of that the data science touches. And it allows you to have this really vibrant, uh, you know, dynamic career where as long as you know the basics of data science, you can get involved in so many different fields and you can be interested in so many different things. And I think, you know, the Harvard Data Science Review podcast and journal are perfect examples of that. If you look through our podcast episodes, it's on everything you can imagine. If you look at the journal, it, it touches every different aspect of life. And so one of the joys of the podcast is, you know, what do I want to learn about this month? Or what do our listeners want to learn about this month? And it's, it's really one of my favorite things I get to do. Well, thank you, uh, Liberty. Uh, but I do want to clarify, we did not do marijuana. We talk about marijuana <laughs> just to be... <laughs> Sure, that the audience get the right. Uh, well, we, you know, we have, there's yeah. always a first, Shelley. There's always a first. There's always time. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Before you got us into more trouble, let me ask you a question. I know you do extremely well. Um, you're known for making understanding statistics accessible to a wide range of people. There are many people who think statistical concept, data concepts are very difficult. How are you able to explain such difficult concepts to such a wide range of audience? I think there's two keys to it. And one I think is not going to be very popular to say on this podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. The first is analogies are king. So if you can come up, you know, if you're talking about, you know, I don't know, regression to the mean, if you can come up with an ex interesting example that relates to whoever you're talking about, whether it has to do with politics or drugs, healthcare drugs, not, not marijuana drugs, uh, whatever it is that you can come up with. If you, if you can come up with analogies that make sense in people's fields, they can really understand things better. The second is that I am willing, and I know this is going to be controversial, but I am willing to sacrifice technically correct, perfect correctness for understanding. So that sometimes you have to skip over the details Sometimes you have to skip over the technical correctness of something for people to understand. And I would rather have them somewhat understand the statistics and somewhat appreciate the data and the truth um, and potentially sacrifice some of the correctness in, rather than have them just go, I don't understand this at all. Well, I can say why you're saying this could be controversial because I would know some of my colleagues might be saying, mm-hmm, you know, <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean. I guess usually... What we talk about here is you find a good knowledge, you find a way to explain the things which may not be precise. It's not wrong, but it's not precise. It does not give all the nuance, the angles, but it get the essence cross. I think exactly. that's, that's the essence of the best, best communication. Leading into that, actually how I always explain to people my job, because I think even explaining to people the essence of being a data scientist is really hard. And so I always tell people like, when you see the commercials that say nine out of 10 dentists recommend this toothpaste, I'm the one that got the nine out of 10. And people think that that's really great. <laughs> so on imperfect analogies, people say that learning data fluency is a lot like learning a whole other language, but we took a look at your resume and 
I did not know that you are competently fluent in five different languages. Is there any intersection between learning and speaking in different languages and like kind of learning and speaking data science? Do those two subjects collide at all? Oh, that's so interesting. First, I'll say I'm really happy, Ari, that you do remember something from my class three years ago because the Colgate Crest nine out of 10 dentist examples was mine. So I, I'm glad to know that at least one of my students remembers one thing from my class. Um, but, you know, that's that's an interesting thing. I I actually found learning another language really hard. And I also found learning statistics really hard. I loved it, but it was hard. You know, everyone says like, oh, did this, did math just come naturally to you? Um, actually, in eighth grade, my eighth grade teacher in high school called my parents in and uh, for a me big meeting and said, Liberty's just not smart enough to graduate high school. She's not good enough at math and she's just not smart enough. And she, it was, a, it was a, a private, you know, academic school. And they said, she's just not smart enough to be here. Um, so... To all these parents who might be listening or, or kids who may have found things hard, it doesn't necessarily come naturally. You know, if you, if, you, if you think sort of about basic math and reading in school, if a kid can't read, people don't say, oh, well, that's fine. We'll just like let them not learn to read. They figure out how to teach them to read. Whereas if a kid says, I'm not good at math or statistics, parents will go, oh, well, my kid's just not good at it. I wasn't good at it either. And we don't take the time to really figure out how people should learn because people learn differently. And so I think my big thing is that if you're a parent listening or a kid who struggles with this, that I think everyone can do this. You just need to figure out how to learn it and that people should really do that for their kids because it's an important an important thing. And it, it does not necessarily come naturally as neither did languages. I mean, Shali, did, did Chinese and English, did English come really easily to you? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struggling, as you know well. You know, I you know share my writing with you. I you know I'm still struggling with all these things, like always missing. You know, where should it be the the, where should it be the a? You know, all these articles where to put what, which I just had no idea. Because when you're not native speakers, it's just hard. Right. And so, but you're yeah. funny. I don't know. That's what everyone says is the mark of someone who truly understands their second language is if they're able to be funny in that other language. And you're hysterical. So I clearly you understanding your, your mastery of English is, has, has leveled beyond anything that anyone could ask for in understanding. The well, second I language. guess probably people just saying that my English reads funny because it doesn't really have the right tone, but that's fine. I'm, I, I take that as a compliment. You know, so. But <laughs> But I want to jump in that you were saying like, you know, you had trouble to study mathematics or something. Now, I need to let the audience know, right? This is from someone who was a math major from MIT. Okay, so let's just get the record straight. But I also know that you concentrate in political science when you're doing mathematics. I think that's a wonderful combination, probably explain part of the your incredibly diverse interest, right? Because... Most people would think about political science as mathematics. They don't necessarily, you know, uh, talk to each other, but obviously uh, both are incredibly useful skills. Speaking of the language, I think that this is actually a perfect time to brought up this uh, most frequent question from Instagram, okay? Because we did ask Instagram, right? This is about asking, you know, answer questions uh, because this is obviously related to the whole language issue, this whole generative AI is all coming from large language models. So you know how the two things have become so intertwined with each other now. So the question is, as a professor, how do you feel about ChatGPT and other generative AIs in the classroom? 
You know, it's I, I'm I'm just in the process of revising my syllabus. Um, I I feel like I made a mistake. The general decision at the universities has been, you know, sort of the general overall one has been to say no chat GPT, you can't use it. And I I feel like I really made a mistake because last year I I went along, you know, I I picked the path of least resistance and said, fine, I'll make it, you know, the, the equivalent of plagiarism in my syllabus. And I, I thought, I was thinking about it this fall, and I thought, what an idiot I was to do that. Because people are using this in their jobs. People are using this in work. And what a disservice to our students to not have them be using this in what they do. And if that takes extra work on the professor's part of figuring out assignments that you can't just put into ChatGPT and get the answer, then that's on us. And we need to take the extra time and effort to come up with assignments that really do stretch your mind and utilize large language models and stuff like ChatGPT and helping our students utilize something they'll be using in the real world and to further and enhance their work um, rather than say, no, you can't use this incredible tool that everybody's already using in the workplace. So I am, I am happy to say I was dumb and I regret my decision and I'm changing it for this semester. So I, I don't know what that means for my students, but I'm, I'm coming up with new assignments as we speak. Let me, let me actually jump in to share with you a story that someone just sent me a news paper clip most recently to show that, you know, that kind of reaction at the beginning is probably all natural and you're not dumb at all again. And, uh, and the, uh, somebody sent me a news clip was, uh, this is from years ago. There was a group of mathematical professors was uh, doing protest on campus, you know, with signs that basically is against the calculator. Uh. And because they were worried about calculators going to, you know, pollute all the, Young minds, you know, housing, you know, they're kind of, but now we reach, looks back, looks silly, but that's how we react when the new technology comes. As a student, I'd like to thank you for your amendment of your syllabus, because I feel like we have all of these tools at our fingertips. And so sometimes classes that treat generative AI like plagiarism are actually hurting us because they end up being kind of base level, they end up being kind of shallow. And so I found that most of my classes that let us use generative AI as like a tool to help us are much more in depth. And like, I feel like those classes prepare me more for the workforce. So I think from a student perspective, two thumbs up for sure. That's it. I'm calling all of your students from last semester and apologizing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> So next, as someone who has achieved so much in such little time, you know, we've talked about generative AI, data science is going to skyrocketing upwards. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? And where do you see the enterprise of data science as a whole headed in the next 10 years? You know, it's funny you say achieve so much. I don't know if this happens to everybody, but I feel like I've done nothing. I was, I was just having breakfast with my dad at Chick-fil-A this morning. Um, I had a peppermint milkshake, which are they only are there through through Christmas, so I need to get in as many as possible before uh, the holiday season is over. And I was talking to him about how I feel like I I need new challenges and my career's stagnating and I need to do more things. So you know, I I think the one thing is that for anybody that's interested in trying to do stuff and excited about things, that everybody always feels. I, you know, I, I don't know, Shally, how you feel. What's your, what's in your next step and next part of your life? Like, I, 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 it's one thing I always watch with Shally. He's always 
doing new things and coming up with new things. And that's how I want to be is that you're, you're never sort of just sitting there content with what you're doing and you want to, you know, get excited about new things. Um, so I don't know what's the next step. I think I'm going to start saying yes to everything again. I think, you know, I almost stopped for a little while because I was getting so busy. And now I think I, I think I made a mistake and I think I'm, I'm going to, my first step is going to be to start saying yes to everything. Someone actually just asked me to give a talk and I thought, oh God, I don't want to travel there and do that. But nope, I'm doing it. So um, I'm going to start saying yes to new things. And I don't know what the future holds, but I'm excited to find out because I'm ready for my next I don't know, my next life as a, as a data scientist with always having that background and that, that root in data science and um, as a teacher, which is my favorite thing to do. Well, I will say that many of people who is listening to this podcast will be very happy to say you're going to say yes all the time, but be careful what you just said. I'm quite sure. I mean, your invitation list is certainly much longer than mine. Even I have, you know, trouble to keep up with, of course, I'm a lot older, that's a problem. And uh, <laughs> but, you know, just be careful, just be careful when you say too many yeses. But speaking of your achievement, I do think there's one thing you have achieved that many of us have felt, which you may or may not realize. So I know this is a little bit of a serious question. So I want to ask you, how do you achieve that? You know, uh, you have written for of being featured by a wide range of media outlets known for their diverse political inclinations, um, including BBC, CNN, Fox News, News Nation, PBS. You know, people will say these are have very different, you know, ideological perspectives, right? Just to name a few. I know you have done a lot more if you look at the CV. It's really a long, long list. In an increasingly divisive society, very unfortunately, how do you manage to be appreciated and respected by people with very different ideological perspectives? You know, I, I, I know I keep saying this. I think this podcast is making me realize how much advice I've gotten from you, Shelley, um, in doing all this stuff. One, I feel like I really always try to have a backing in the data. You know, whenever I'm writing an, an op-ed or an opinion, I really try to feel I could defend it either direction. Yeah, you know, I mean, you always know that. You can make the what do you what is what's the thing if you if you torture data long enough, it'll tell you anything you want it to say. If you torture data long enough, it will confess. It'll confess. There we go. Um, so I feel like I try to make sure that I under I can make the argument either way with the data, and I include that in any opinion piece I write. You know, I may take an opinion at the end, but I include the other side in it every time. And I believe me, I've I've almost made some big missteps. And uh, my grandfather always used to say, "Never react." And I, I've almost made some really big missteps by reacting to an issue or, a, or something that I'm going to write about without really thinking it through and without talking to people that are a lot smarter than I am about whether I should write it or not or say it or not. And so I think I've gotten lucky enough to have people around that I do ask before I say stuff and get their opinion on it first. So always have people around you that are smarter than you are that you can really talk to and have them understand because... I've I've almost made some big mistakes, and thankfully I haven't. Knock on wood, I haven't yet, um, because I've I've taken a step back and let my emotions come out of it, and asked people that are smarter than I am about what they think about it. I think that's just such an important piece of advice. I know it's many of us trying to do, but it's not easy, right? What you're saying is really you got into a positive cycle. 
because you do well, you get more people with different perspectives around you. So whenever you are getting to issues, you have people with right different perspective consult, in which case will first help you to present, you know, into the data science much more balanced view. And you got into the you know the the right part of cycle. Unfortunately, uh, for a lot of us, and certainly these days, you know, I I really dislike the notion called a personalized news. Because what happened is you just keep hearing what you want to hear, and then you end up in a ways feel like you know how could anything else happen? Because this is the world I live in, right? So I think uh, I think your best advice here is really surround yourself with a lot of people, but a lot of people with different different perspectives, and then going from there. Well, thank you for that wonderful advice to all of us. I actually remember my favorite class period with you was probably when you go through, I think it's maybe the baby boxes example, where you talk about, you wrote this like really insightful article and then uh, towards the end of the class period and you're like, and then I calculated all of this and then we went through all of this and then someone wrote an article refuting me and that was devastating. And I still tell people about that all the time because if a professor can like stand up in front of 200 kids and be like, and this is what they said about me. I think the headline was, is Liberty Vittered actually this stupid? <laughs> I think that was the headline. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's just like, it's so important to be able to look at it and be like, hey, so this is why this article that was written about me was maybe right, or this is where it wasn't right. And I think it's really excellent that you do that. I think that's super powerful, not only for your students, but just people in general. Like you can tell by talking to you that you're okay accepting when you're not right. I've been wrong so many times, I can't even count. <laughs> so get in line if you wanna come up with times I've been wrong, because there's been many. Well, on times that you have been right, we are talking about, this is our fourth year of the Harvard Data Science Review. No one has written an article about us saying that we're stupid, so that feels like a win. <laughs> um, as we are in the new year, what has been your favorite or one of your favorite Harvard Data Science Review episodes so far? So, I've had two. The first, and still my favorite, and also our fan favorite, was the interview with Shelly. Um, because, and that was Ari's idea, uh, was because uh, it, to have him not have the questions beforehand and really just answer off the cuff was fascinating to see and to learn the way he was thinking about things. So I would highly, it's called What is Data Science? And I would highly... Um, I would highly encourage our listeners to go listen to that if they haven't, although I'm sure you have, because it's our definitely our favorite. Um, the second, and this, I loved this one because I really didn't think this is what was going to happen. It was our to drink or not to drink episode. And first of all, thank God the advice was to drink because I don't know what I would have done. But I was really surprised because I feel like we hear, you know, I, I kind of have a good guess of what people are going to say in the podcast or what angle they're going to take. And I was shocked by both of these people sort of, even one that really had just written an article, a, 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 a real big article saying that alcohol was bad for you, really ended up saying, well, if you have a couple drink, you know, if, if you drink responsibly, it's probably okay for you. And so it was, it was the first time I sort of heard a push, a, a really nuanced discussion of something like that. And I was surprised by what the, 
happily surprised by what the answer was. And it was just such a fun podcast episode because it was two people with such different views who really came together at the end to agree on something, which you see so rarely. Well, thank you, Liberty. And uh, but I had to clarify. Otherwise, it sounds like this whole episode that we planned in the end, you were keeping talking about me because it's really about you. <laughs> but thank you for all these very nice words. And uh, but I do have to say, I deny that we never done marijuana, but we have done wine. That is true. So that, that one, I that one I can clarify. And uh, I'm just gonna, you know, this uh, this conversation obviously can go on. Forever, but we will, we're getting to the magical one time, and you are the one right. always come up with these wonderful magical ones. So you have to wait for what our magical one, you know, we, uh, we will ask you. But before I do that, I do want to ask you because you are the one I also take this opportunity to really thank you for the last three years for your incredible dedication to this uh, podcast. Together with Ari, uh, Tina, Rebecca, the whole team had come up with all kinds of wonderful, wonderful topics. I can tell the I can tell the audience my job was much easier because I basically just come in and talk. And all the topics coming from coming from you guys. Of course, if anything wrong, you guys get blamed as well. So I'm just trying to be clear here. Okay, uh, but seriously, <laughs> uh, what are the one episode you would love to do this year uh, coming to 2024? And uh, any particular guest that you like to have? Ooh. This is making me want to go look at our wish list and remind myself of what episodes we have coming up. Um, you know, I, I think I would, I think I definitely want to do a follow-up on large language models and chat GPT. You know, we did an episode sort of right at the beginning of all of this when people were really trying to figure out what's going on. And I think there's still a lot of, you know, you, you, you read these doomsday articles about how AI is going to destroy everybody. And I, I think it would be really interesting now that things have settled down a little bit around it to have a discussion and whether we should be scared or whether things are okay, um, whether we, you know, maybe we should be terrified, but maybe we shouldn't be. And um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, th I thought we had... Uh, a spectacular conversation with Steven Pinker over it. And I think it would be exactly really right. cool to have him back yep. on to sort of now that the dust has settled around this chat GPT and generative AI to see what what he thinks now a year later, um, I think it could be really fascinating um, when where we're going to be, especially with all the hubbubaloo with open AI recently with Sam Altman and, and what's going on with how people are thinking about the future of AI. So I think that'd be my, my, my off the top of my head, that is my first choice of episodes to have some time this spring. So as this podcast's only undergraduate student that's not big and famous and incredible yet, what advice do you have, Liberty, for us people that are just starting out and want to do big, great things? My biggest advice would be to take risks with what you, you can try to do. You know, Ari, you even talked about it. You emailed me and said, like, you know, what can I do that's interesting? And frankly, you caught me at a moment where I get, I get emails like that all the time. And you, first of all, I loved you as a student, but you caught me at a moment where I had an opening I needed somebody and it was perfect. And unfortunately, there's times where students email me and ask that who are great students and I just don't have anything. And I, you know, I forget and that's it. But there are students who keep emailing. And that's what I think students need to do, whether it's to professors or to work or to whatever it is, cold email people, cold call people. 99% of them are not going to respond to you. 
The other half a percent are going to say they don't have anything for you. And that one half of 1% might have an opportunity for you. And that's how so many of my opportunities came, was just being relentless about emailing and calling people and being rejected and not caring. And, you know, that half of 1% is potentially really cool things. By the way, that half of 1% can sometimes lead to nothing, but a lot of times they're super interesting things. So it's just to really put yourself out there and and you'll get rejected a bunch and it's fine. You heard it here first, folks. Hire Ariane when Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess I can summarize what you're saying is keep asking, but whenever people ask you, say yes. Exactly. And, and by the way, I, it's a great opportunity to me when I said yes. Ari's been incredible and done so much for the podcast. So it's also been a wonderful thing that I said yes to on the other side for me and for us. Thank you very much. Now come to the magical one question and this one Ari uh, prepared. If you could accurately quantify anything that is currently unquantifiable, what would it be and why? What do I want to quantify that's unquantifiable? You know, I think um, one of the biggest discussions that's going on right now, or, you know, sort of in the little world that I'm in right now, is uh, on the political side of both sides are basically calling doomsday if the other side wins. You know, the, the Democrats are saying it's the end of the world if the Republicans win, and the Republicans are saying, you know, the biggest threat to our democracy is the Democrat. You know, everyone's calling for doomsday. And everyone talks about how trust has fallen and no one trusts anything anymore. I'd like to really understand public trust over time. I'd like to know what, what is, has it really changed? Are we really the most divided we've ever been or is this just another ruffle in time? So I think, you know, to, to really understand what's going on and how at risk we are for democracy falling, I'd really like to understand the trends in public trust over time and are we at our most divided um should we be really scared about the fall of democracy or not that is truly a fascinating answer seriously that's a really great answer yeah how do you measure trust even during the kind of a normal time not this divide time right and and who's doing that and and how do you trust people's evaluation of these trust because everybody talked about doomsday i think that's a that itself deserves um a great PhD thesis that in political science with a data science spin. Seriously. I think that's so I great. Think Ari, that, it's all on that's you. you take Ari, it on. that's your topic. Okay. But, uh, well, thank you. Uh, your your measure of trust also reminds me a quote. Actually, my apologies. I don't remember who said this. Is you know, in God we trust. Everybody else bring data. That's the, <laughs> which is a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> and bring liberty. I think that would be <laughs> even better. Okay. <laughs> but um, seriously, that uh, we uh, need to wrap up this episode and thank you again, Liberty, for uh, being such a great co-host. And honestly speaking, the Harvard Science Review podcast will not exist or certainly not in this form without your tremendous dedication in the last three years. I'm certainly looking for many, many more years. And I know now you cannot say no to me because you said you're going to say yes to everyone. So I hope at least I'm one of the everyone's. Like, I don't even have to claim anything special. Just say <laughs> say Deal. yes to me. And, and, I will and, say and yes. Okay. And uh, uh, surely I will open my wine cellar anytime you come to Boston. 
as always. Okay. So, Champagne it is next time. Yeah, and uh, thanks again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Harvard Data Science Review podcast. To stay updated with all things HDSR, you can visit our website at hdsr.mitpress.mit.edu or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bhdsr. A special thanks to our executive producer, Rebecca McLeod, and producer, Tina Toby Mack. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been the Harvard Data Science Review. Everything data science and data science for everyone.